Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. In this episode of Around the Coin, I interview Alf Gunnar Anderson. He is the founder and CEO of Horde and Bustad, which have different pronunciations in Norway. Uh, Alf is in Norway, and uh, we talked about life there, building a company in Norway, the regulatory climate that incentivizes both entrepreneurs and business. And then we spend a a decent amount of time talking about fractional ownership um, in real estate and how he came up with this idea of using crypto and blockchain in the physical world, how they're launching in Europe, some of the opportunities, challenges with launching in Europe versus the US, and much more. I, I find this concept really, really fascinating of fractional ownership and tokenization of physical products. And certainly in the space of real estate, it's very, very interesting. So tune in, learn about how they've approached the market, and I hope you enjoy. Here is Alf Anderson. Alf, uh, excited to chat with you, man. Um, you're running a couple exciting projects, and you're in a unique spot for me to be talking to somebody uh, on the west side of Norway. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. What are you working on? How do you spend your time these days between the different projects you have going on? Oh, yeah, it's it's actually I, I have too many projects. That's probably one of the issues. But that's uh, being a serial entrepreneur. That's that's a life, right? So, so my my main my main project or, or business is is a company I founded that's called Horda or Horde. Uh, and we have a very simple vision. It's to empower people to take control over their financial life. And we're doing that by provi- providing, um, connecting your data, uh, giving you insights and feedback on your data, and then looking for where we can disrupt in that industry by providing alternatives to traditional financial uh, solutions. We also do have some traditional financial solutions on the platform but we really we really like uh, diving into where we can kind of okay challenge the the status quo or figure out a better way to do something not just do it because that's where the way they did it 40 years ago um so that's my main business um uh, on the side of this but also connected to this uh, one of the ventures that we have started is called boostad it's uh basically a way for you to uh, to tokenize part of your home um and it started f- because we in holda we we have around 50 million um, uh, dollars in uh, loan applications each uh, month uh, for refinancing and we saw that a lot of these people had a home uh, so instead of refinancing to 10 12 percent interest rate which is better than 20 we thought, why don't you just like tokenize part of your home and get rid of that? Uh, why do you need to own 100% of your home? Why, if you own 95% of your home but have uh, full living rights and don't pay any rent, uh, that could be a better solution and you can actually get a really fresh restart uh, on your financial life. So that's like my two main projects that I'm running. Um, and I'm also uh, the founder and chairman of FinTech Norway, uh, which, which is a organization that is uh, working on um, on like uh, talking to the regulators, uh, doing lobbying, uh, really being the voice of the disruptor in this space. So yeah. Yeah, that sounds like you do have your hands full. <laughs> uh, what's the what's the climate like for banking and payments in Norway? Uh, I guess, how is it 
maybe in contrast to the U.S. or just generally, how is there any uniqueness to the structure, and does that present any opportunities or challenges? Well, at least in Norway or the Scandinavian country, uh, you have a very high degree of um, of technological uh, adoption. And, and actually, the payment rails that you have in, um, and especially in Norway, are quite unique and quite fast and, and, and quite cheap. So, so we actually do see that um, the bigger international players, like Revolut, for example, which is this neobank giant in, uh, in, in Europe, they're having a real t- uh, tough time penetrating the Norwegian market because the solutions in Norway are already uh, really, really good. So for us, it kind of creates uh, the perfect environment to to build something um, on 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 good rails and, and good technology. And if you're able to penetrate the Norwegian market with a good solution, most likely this will be a solution that uh, other countries will also think is is really really good. So, so yeah. we kind of look so, like uh, Norway as a sandbox for us. Yeah, it's like a high bar since the existing uh, options are so good. Is that because of the, What do you have an idea as to why that is the way it is? Is there something unique about the structure of the government or the way that the banking industry is structured? Like, is it, because my take is that that's a good thing that people can mm. pay fast and easy and it is widespread technological adoption. Is there something that you would point to to attribute it, to attribute that progress to? Because most governments uh, struggle to really do anything successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think th- there has been a really good climate for uh, cooperation, uh, in, uh, especially in Norway, between the banks. So a lot of these initiatives, like you have something called Bank Accept, which is like internal banking rails that they developed, which is far faster than the visa are or much cheaper than the other european rails so and one, one thing that is uh, is also pretty cool is that uh, all the banks in norway they they went together and they created this um, this uh, unified version of doing customer um um uh, a, a strong customer authentication basically so if you authenticate yourself with one bank all the other banks will trust that identification uh, and if you go to the UK and tell a banker there that in Norway, one bank trusts another bank's uh, identity verification, they, that's very far-fetched to them. I don't know how it is in the, U- in, in the US, but I think it's because you have a society that uh, is scoring really, really high on trust. I think we're on the world, uh, uh, top of the world there in, in, in a trust-based uh, society. So that has created... Yeah, a good foundation for for corporations to to cooperate. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that is it specifically the trust in the government or trust in institutions more broadly? I think it's both. Uh, like Norway is a really down to earth country. Uh, you're not uh, <laughs> you're not supposed to stick out too much or be too braggy. So everyone's kind of like uh, it's it's not like we look at Americans like very like loud and wah, right and uh, and and that's that's cool and that's what you need sometimes but uh, it's not something that's um, necessarily um, the way a Norwegian would do it. Um, so uh, I think uh, th- there is like a unique culture that has made this foundation for for for, for this to work in, in the way that it has and it has its positives and it has its uh, negative sides but like mm-hmm. in financial institutions as well uh, we have very strong financial institutions who have some of the strict strictest um uh regulators in the world and and highest amount of um of capital requirements that the bank has to have and that's a real um disadvantage for them when they're competing with international banks because the international banks can then have higher margins, but all these creates like a very stable and solid uh, economy uh, in Norway. Yeah, that's a good point. And so much of I think the debate about how to architect governments is undervaluing the effects of the culture, and the culture meaning just the consistent set of values and norms of behaviors that people have in that in that 
uh, in that civilization. So I think what, what could work in one place might not work in another when it comes to banking or healthcare or whatever else that the government is involved in. Um, and and it's, it's a bit unfair as well, because you got to remember that Norway is a very rich country, right? We, we struck oil, uh, literally. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so when if you have a lot of money and 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 thankfully in the seventies when this was this was discovered you had uh, um, people leading the country who who saw what was uh, the best for them it was actually talked about selling all the rights to the Americans uh, but uh, they decided to develop it th- themselves and um, and it's very easy to when you have an abundance of resources to to have free healthcare and all that stuff so it's. It's kind of not fair to compare it with uh, with uh, all the other countries, of course. Yeah, although there are so many counterexamples of places, Africa comes to mind, of countries in Africa that have abundant resources but don't have the either the organization collectively or the infrastructure development, mm. um, or just the you know corruption is a is a major factor when you don't have strong organizational and trust in government. So yeah, it's not just the struck oil, it's your struck oil and you also, and there is an existing cultural pattern and infrastructure to be able to extract it in a responsible way and distribute those resources to people so that it's not hyper consolidated. Like you could say that same thing to be true in the Middle East, uh, specifically in like Dubai and, and United Emirates where they have plenty of oil and there's a lot of money but it's not. It doesn't seem to be distributed in the same way. <laughs> that's uh, that's very correct. Like Norway is uh, traditionally a social country, uh, not a communist country. Uh, we do have capitalism uh, as well, but you have this good synergy uh, where the the government knows how far they can go, and they as far as they can, they try to create fairness and equal of opportunity. So, like Norway is the most uh, egalitarian country uh, in the world, and yeah, we just have to thank uh, the the people who who basically run the country uh, from the fifties and sixties, and, and and those values have has stayed on. Uh, and um, yes, yeah, so very lucky to yeah <laughs> be born in a country like this. <laughs> how, how do you feel like that? I mean, from an entrepreneur standpoint, it's not a typical. Um, you know, generally the entrepreneur seeks to pay a price in the short term to have a reward much larger than average in the long term. So, you know, there's some risk calculation there, but you say, hey, I'm going to start this business. I'm not going to take a salary for three years. And in hopes that when we do build it out and raise money and grow, then it'll be worth, you know, a hundred times what my salary would have been worth. Do you feel that there's a, uh, an impact of, in some way, how society is structured there that um, either prevents or accelerates the entrepreneurship spirit. I mean, I could see it being, I could see it going both ways, but I'm curious mm. what your experience is. I, th- I think it goes uh, both way, uh, actually. Uh, like uh, you, you have, th- there's no one who's going to starve if you start a, com- uh, start a company uh, and, uh, and, and and fail. Um, there are good um, social programs uh, to, to make sure that um, you get on your feet. And there's also government support you can um, apply for when you're starting a company. Um, it's not much, but it might help you to kickstart something and, and validate uh, the idea that you have. Um, and then we're quite good at supporting uh, companies in the early stages. Where we really, really suck is these uh, mid-stages, when you actually... You've, you've created the product, you see you have customers, now you need to grow, then there's this valley of death. And there's very little VCs uh, in Norway to, to, to carry you over that uh, valley. Uh, and, and then you basically just have to survive until you become big enough for like equity firms or you can do it on yourself. So, so, so it's, it's, it's easy to start, but it's hard to scale in Norway, I would see, yeah. I would say. And has that changed after COVID where so many com- companies now are remote, so many VCs are deploying capital over Zoom? Do you feel like the climate has shifted or the opportunity for mid-stage capital is better now given 
you know, if you run a remote team, you know, your people are all over the world, or even if they're just in Norway, it would, it seems like access to capital is better now than it ever has been. Is that your experience? Yeah, uh, at, at least it was. Now the sentiment uh, sentiment is changing a bit, right? Because of the stock prices and and also the volatility within crypto. But uh, I, I still would say it's 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 quite good for uh, for for startups and and, and founders. Um, I don't know necessarily if it's because you're like based in Norway. That's the issue for us. It's based. It was mostly that you you only operate in Norway um, because. Uh, even though you have European regulate, uh, regulations um, that says, for example, hold that we have a European payment license, we can move to every other country, but there's still a lot of uh, local um, um, integrations you have to do to make it work. Uh, so now we're partnering up with bigger firms. Uh, we're using the Klarna railways and stuff like that to, 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 to expand. But when if we go a year back and we were basically saying, yeah, yeah right now we're focusing on Norway, International VCs would say like, okay, that's cute. <laughs> that's like five and a half million people. Yeah. Call me when you go to Germany or, or UK or something like that. So, so that was challenging, even though we had a really good business and, and, and a good growth in, in Norway. It was, they, they weren't interested before you, you shown some kind of uh, global ambition. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Uh, and it makes sense from the investor's perspective. You know, you have to attack a market that is large and growing um so tell me the between the two businesses where where are they in terms of traction either money raised or however you measure meaningful progress i know you've been working on hoard for uh three years four years 2018 yeah yeah late 2018 so i started working full-time quit my job in in uh, in early 2019 um and that's been um been, been quite a, a journey. Uh, we're closing up to 200,000 users in, in Norway, which is decent size, uh, given that's a small country. So uh, I think we are, or we are the biggest personal finance management app uh, in Norway that's independent, like not, not a bank. Um, so that's been, uh, been uh, really, really uh, fun. Um, uh, a lot of uh, challenges. Uh, we, we really wanted to be a brand that was consumer focused. Um, so that's why actually we were called Hold or Horde, because we're a horde of consumers. Like, uh, you, you can say that we're kind of like just walking around being consumers. Uh, and what we're trying to do is to concentrate this horde in a direction because then mm. you have massive power right every everyone who's seen walking dead they know that when the horde is coming you got to get out of the way right mm. um so so we we we, we, we kind of like those value that it was a company by consumers for consumers and we're actually also owned by consumers um so we did uh, we, we decided to go with crowdfunding um and have two norwegian records uh in that so we raised around six and a half million uh, dollars in uh, in crowdfunding um the next round um will probably be more institutional we think we, we are talking with some players but we haven't decided uh just yet but that has been really good um we're, we have eight banking partners in norway and delivering 50 million plus uh, in in loan applications each month and yeah that's awesome. Doing, uh, mm. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm curious about the crowdfunding decision. Was that a? Were the investors mostly or all in Norway? And uh, I, I think I remember the deal being done on Dealflow.com. Is that right? And what do you attribute the success of the crowdfunding campaign to? Is there something you guys did on marketing? Did it just kind of organically? It just organically worked and struck a chord with people. Anything that you've learned through the experience? Well, for us, it was uh, uh, when we did our crowdfunding. We we were, we also passed the first round. We we were or we were closing up to a hundred thousand uh, users. Um, so that user base uh, and of course the brand and that the way we spoke that this is an app by consumers for consumers. I definitely think that was a huge factor uh, for us having a successful round. So deal flow is uh, only in uh, Norway. So the, the the rounds we've had so far has been uh, only uh, Norwegian, but led by some bigger angel uh, investors to kind of negotiate the pricing on behalf of, of everyone else, basically. 
Um, so, and, and the reason why we chose to do crowdfunding is, uh, was a bit, um, it was actually a plan B for us, uh, to be honest, because we were partnering up with one of the bigger community banks in Norway and, uh, and being a naive founder, we really wanted to change the way some of these product works. Uh, and you had a lot of people who agreed with us in the bank. But as you progress and more and more compliance people come in, more and more lawyers come in, more and more egos come in. So they started chipping away on the product and suddenly was like, oh, this doesn't feel right. It's, it's not the match for us. And so, so, so breaking up that partnership also came with the consequences that they they pulled back or they were going to make an investment in Holda that was significant. But for us, it was like, we, we can't launch this product because we don't believe in it. So it, we won't be the company we're going to be by going this down this route. And and especially the the, 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 the final nail in the coffin was when, when the bank wanted exclusivity. So they were basically going to tell us or give us the green light for, for doing something with a new bank. And I was like, we, we can't live like that yeah. that's not the company you wanted to, to, to do no unless you but buy them, you know if they wanted to acquire yeah. you guys <laughs> that'd be different that's a different story uh so so but in, in we've also in that time uh been talking to uh, to deal flow i uh, thought that was like an uh, exciting uh thing for us giving our our, our our brand so we turned around in a couple of weeks and uh, launched the campaign and it was a huge success and we're very glad uh, we went uh, down that road. In the last 10 years, over $100 billion worth of crypto has been lost or stolen, specifically because of poor key management scams and hackers. Forget not your keys, not your crypto. Software and hardware wallets have both the same vulnerability, that a single private key can be lost, hacked, or simply just misplaced. My new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total game changer, bringing wallet security to a whole new level. You have to check out Zengo, an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which has, just until now, only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. So Zengo, most secure Web3 wallet, is the best place to keep your crypto, NFTs, and assets secured. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery system, and it's also just beautiful. Get started at Zengo.com and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's Zengo.com, code ATC for $20 back on your purchase of $200 or more. Yeah, it's awesome to have the largest crowdfunding campaign. And is it in Norway? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, we have actually two. Uh, so because we did the, the first one and then we did a second one. And the second one was twice as large as the first one. So it's only been growing. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know in the US, <clears throat> there was a recent regulatory change that enabled crowdfunding campaigns on these platforms, the Reg CF, Regulation CF for crowdfunding. Is there some change recently that has enabled people in private markets, regular retail investors to make investments in private companies or has has that always been the case um there's there's always been the case in in europe but there there is um a lot of regulations there so for example if you're going to have your campaign go out to more uh, than 149 people uh, then you have to apply and uh, write this uh, prospectus and give that to the authorities that then, then they have to approve it so there are like levels on on the regulatory uh, ladder that you climb and it becomes more and more uh, difficult. Mm. Mm. So I assume you guys did that. You wrote, wrote up the prospectus. Yeah, and DealFlow was a great help there. And and my background is like, before I became a founder, I worked almost 10 years in the financial industry. So I've read thousands <laughs> of those. So it was, wasn't that hard for me to, to write up one, uh, especially what did the help from DealFlow. So, yeah. Yeah. It was what were you doing specifically previous to this? Um, so my, my background is that um, I I originate from an entrepreneurial family. My my my, my dad was a founder, and on my mother's side, they've run shops and motels and whatnot. So, um, and I, I I was supposed to be a rock star, uh, not a tech entrepreneur. Um, but I decided to to get a degree and bachelor degree in economics, nonetheless. Um, 
And I worked a couple of years uh, with a family company, and then I was recruited um, uh, to a, um, a company that manages money for wealthy individuals, so capital allocation firm or wealth management, basically. Um, so I came in there as a trainee, uh, became advisor, senior advisor, and partner. And and when I re- reached the partner level, it's well, like, okay, well, what do I aim at now? And that's <laughs> that's what I when I realized I needed to do something else with my life, and I didn't want to do this for another thirty years. Yeah. So what do you mean you were supposed to be a rock star? Were you in a band or you? Uh... Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like the the height of our uh, our um, career was that we 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 we, we did tour uh, or a mini tour in New York uh, in I think it was in two thousand ten or eleven, so that was that was cool and uh, like all great bands uh, internal conflicts and all that stuff and people grew up and got jobs and got kids and whatnot and basically we we I I I, I used to say that. I I wasn't creative enough to be a really good musician, uh, and I'm not analytical enough to be a really good financial al- analytics. But I'm somewhat creative and somewhat analytic, so that fits very well to be be a founder, basically. So mm. I'm very creative when it comes to financial solution. If you ask the banks, right, then, uh, <laughs> then they see us as disruptors. So that's fun. That's funny. Yeah, I certainly resonate with your perspective and and personality type, I should say. Um, super interesting. I like that. Uh, I'm curious about uh, Bustad. Make sure, like, can you pronounce it? Make sure I pronounce it correctly. Bustad. Bustad. Long, long you. Uh, so the, the concept of, to me, the concept of tokenizing ownership of homes, effectively tokenizing the ownership of anything, but especially useful for real estate and large large items that people purchase uh, makes so much sense. It almost feels like there's this this reservoir of pent-up economic opportunity that can happen, given the Mm. fact that when you own the home, you don't necessarily care about the financial part of it. Like you're not, I live in Portland, Oregon. When we moved here six months ago, uh, I, I wasn't interested particularly in like investing in the city, uh, as a, as like a portfolio investment, but I wanted a house to live in. So you Mm. just go down that path. And then for most people, they take out a mortgage and a significant portion of their savings goes into the down payment and a significant percentage of your, your ownership in this home through the debt that you take out with the bank goes into that. So it seems to me the alternative is you rent and renting is you own 0%. So it's like you either own 100% and take out a mortgage Mm or buy it outright, or you own 0% and pay it all to somebody else who likely owns 100% of it. Have, have you, does, I guess almost a similar question what I, what I asked you earlier, but has something changed recently in the regulation that has allowed tokenization of home ownership and real estate to occur? Or do you view this more as a technological innovation that presents the opportunity today? In the way I look at it, it's more that we're in again. It's 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 probably because it's in Norway and you have a really digital society, so everything is public and and open. You have public ledgers. Uh, you have more, one of the most open and transparent uh, real estate markets uh, in the world, and everything can be done digitally. Um, so for us, it was more. Like the, like the reason we started Busta was because we saw a problem in Horda, uh, in our main company. We saw that people got into a lot of debts. Mm. Uh, their regular mortgage bank uh, didn't want to help them out. They was like, okay, you have too much debt. We don't we don't want to touch that. You, you. And then you have these special banks, these niche banks. They say like, hey, bring your mortgage over here and we'll charge you three times the interest rates, but you'll at least don't pay 20% interest rate on this huge credit card debt you have. Um, so it's kind of like uh, taking a bit advantage of people in uh, a shitty situation. Um, so, so that was kind of what we saw as the first like pain point we wanted to solve. That these by why does sixty percent of these people they usually have a home as well, and in, at least within, within our group. So we saw that okay, at least sixty percent there. In, if they instead of owning hundred percent of their house, what if they only own ninety percent and then got rid of that? entire mountain of debt they were debt free from that shitty debt so they get actually get a 
a real reboot of their economy. Um, we can drastically reduce their monthly uh, payment. I, I'm, I'm talking like in, in most cases, we see that we can almost cut it in half because that debt is, is, is so expensive. Um, and they can buy it back whenever they want in the future. So that was what we thought was kind of sexy as well, that you have this flexibility that, okay, um, for me right now, and let's say like the interest rates are rising. Uh, I was a founder, built a new house on my old salary when I was a partner in a financial firm, and now I'm a founder. So I got really high uh, leverage. Um, uh, and um, if the interest rate continued to rise, uh, what would be my options to to severely uh, downsize my living? Uh, okay, that I can do that, but I also have two kids. So, so how can I... What choices do I have then? Should we sell the house and move to a smaller house? But what if I could just, uh, if for this portion of my life, tokenize 10 or 20% of my, my home, uh, have someone else take part of that value growth in, in, in that part, and, and I'm getting reduced payments uh, quite significantly each month. So, so that was like the use case we, we identified um, and basically looked at the current uh, financial institution wasn't offering a good enough uh, solution. And then you have the whole trend with the sharing economy, right? In, in Norway, um, uh, this uh, sharing uh, car uh, is called Nabobil. It's, it's uh, really popular that you basically you don't have to own your car. You can just... Some people own a car and they can rent it out and you, you have keyless. So you just go in and you, you open it with an app and you can drive it around <laughs> or, or rent it for several days if you'd like that. So, so we do think that the society is very ready for a new way of, of, uh, of uh, looking at uh, house ownership. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's your, it's, it's your decision if you want to put more equity into the house. You can't do that as a saving, right? But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm curious on the first point. So, when people aren't credit card, is it specifically credit card debt that people feel underwater with? And, and you mentioned the alternative banks offering three times higher interest rates. Um, that that is that what you've seen in uh, Horde is that people get stuck in that situation specifically. We see a lot of like. In Norway, there's uh, 1.2 million people who has um, um, uh, interest-bearing credit, and around 250,000 of them uh, they are in really or they are in bad shape. It's like they have too much debt, and and then there's another two, three hundred thousand which have a high enough debt that the regular mortgage banks don't want to help them them out. Um, so that was kind of we saw that. But this is technically a healthy uh, customer. So what we actually do recommend to those customers is go to this. Uh, today, we recommend go to these niche banks, get everything into that loan, and after two years, go to a regular bank. But it's a lot of hassle, and there's it's very expensive and a lot of fees uh, in, involved there as well. But, but uh, it's still better than just having this mountain of debt with you uh, for like the next 20 years. Yeah, and the idea being is that they have a down payment, so they own, uh, you know, maybe would they is generally when people get mortgages they put say twenty percent down. So say you bought a house for uh, five hundred thousand USD, you'd put fifty thousand, mm. you'd put a hundred thousand down twenty percent, and then you would have four hundred thousand that is mortgaged with say five percent interest rate, and that four hundred thousand. Um, you pay usually over a fixed 30-year mortgage. So you negotiate up front and you have the interest rate and then that's fixed over time. When someone is in credit card debt, in addition to this, they might have, what, 50,000 of credit card debt, something like that. They can't pay it off. They don't have the income coming in. Mm. Effect, so the problem they're having is specifically the credit card debt and they're what I'm wondering is why are more people not refinancing their house to pay that off? So, you know, if, if somebody puts down a hundred thousand in the house, have do, would people? Why would people not refinance that and take some of that cash out to pay the credit card? I'm just thinking through this. Yeah, and and I totally agree with you. And 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 some people do that, but generally, uh, and I don't know if this is a Norwegian case, but. 
if you if you like in Norway, there's a, a regulatory demand on 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 at least fifteen percent equity of your house. So you said twenty percent mm. in Norway. The minimum requirement is is fifteen. Uh, so uh, so if you are have lower than that, the the bank probably won't help you. But it's also like the I don't know if the bank is judging the people or looking at the credit history or whatnot, but it's they usually don't want to bake that long those credits into a a regular mortgage um and there's not a really good explanation for this for for a lot of these people are just average people who uh have grew up in their 20s and and did some stupid mistakes and now they they've got their shit together right um and so it's creating this uh market um uh, of of uh, this for these niche banks, I think it's also a lot of pride uh, involved here that some people don't want to go to their their local banks where they've grown up and tell them, "Hey, I I really screwed the pooch here." So usually when they refinance, they want to refinance with another bank. So mm-hmm. that might also be an issue. And I also think that it's um, it's the the lack of knowledge that you have these options. Um, and if you have a finance degree and you you show that you have get gotten your life together, I, th- I think that most regular banks you can convince them, but it's hard for people because you have this huge uh, information asymmetry between you as a consumer and the bank uh, on on what uh, like people don't know that there there's a fifteen percent uh, equity uh, limit, for example, or uh, and there's also other rules that the bank has to apply by. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so people buying into this. So, say on the buy side for the the housing tokenization, I know you're relatively early on this, but do you see it as uh, retail investors who believe in the city that this person is in will experience growth, or is there some that I assume that would be the reason? Um, Aside from that, it could just be a good deal on that. So if the person purchased the property for 500k, maybe the 10% that they're purchasing through tokenization would do you see the likely scenario that the homeowner sets the price? I'm thinking through this like tactically how this would work. Would the homeowner set the price and say this is, you know, I'm offering 10% of the house in minimum quantities of $1000 uh and the, the the it's almost like in startups you have post money valuation so the value of the house would be set to like four hundred fifty thousand or yeah tell me I can walk you walk you through this because this is um, I actually wrote about this in my master thesis thesis back in twenty nineteen and and then I was I was thinking like you think now and it suddenly became become very complicated right um so so one of the great things that we are doing here is that we're not saying that you are tokenizing your house it goes into a portfolio so you're actually if you have the busta token you get an exposure to the entire uh, norwegian uh, uh, real estate uh, market so for you as a consumer you don't have to think about the technology you don't have to know anything about blockchain because uh, that is all, all basically for you it's like you're selling x percent of your house uh, to busta and we're handling all the blockchain uh the thing and and the tokenization part on on the other side so um so how it works is that in norway all all housing prices are transparent so in most countries or in big cities we can very accurately say what your house is worth because we can see all the other houses that's been sold in the, yeah. the vicinity we same can see in the u.s you have yeah and you have public records and um uh, so you can um, you can find out what when it was built uh you have a, a lot of uh, technical uh aspects that you have to follow when it comes to building code and stuff like that so in in most it's, it's kind of like red yellow uh, uh red light so if it's a green light then we say okay we we're we know what this house is worth, so you can we can just have that fully automatically. If it becomes in at the yellow house, we'll we'll say that, okay, we estimate that your house in, is in this range. Uh, you need to get a realtor uh, uh, um, validates uh, the, the property value, and if it is red, it's because you probably live way out in the sticks. So it, we, we don't have any kind of way to to evaluate the, the property value. Um, and then we basically, in the, the thing is there that 
we, we agree on the price, but then uh, the boost are the token holders. They get uh, a discount on the housing price because you as a consumer, you don't, as a house owner, you don't pay any interest rates uh, to the booster. So that is kind of like we're finding other mechanisms for value transfer here than mm. the traditional pay. Because if you were to pay this monthly rent, then we, we, we would decrease your right. monthly uh, expenditures uh, uh, again. So you will probably not be that uh, much better off. Um, so we're finding these alternatives ways of, of transferring the value that we're buying it at a bit of a discount. Uh, if you want to buy it back, uh, we, we, we track the housing prices. So then you buy it back and we add the, 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 the value of, of the, or the trajectory of the housing market uh, on top of that. And you can never buy it back for lower than what you tokenized it for. That is also really important. So that way we can protect the, the holders of the booster token that they won't get wiped out if there's like a sudden 20% drop in the property market and everyone bought back their houses and you were left with a lot of cash in, in I booster. So, so we built in these... Um, uh, these uh, mechanisms for for safeguarding and 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 having a fair value uh, uh, split between the the token holders and 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 the booster uh, homeowners. So so what we want to create with the booster token is it's not some like 10x coin. That's not the point there. The point is to create an actual stable coin that is backed by actual assets um, and that is growing in in um, a rate that is uh, higher than the inflation. Because uh, that's a huge problem. You, you probably know this. Uh, it's uh, both in Norway and in the US. The inflations are uh, like all over the world, the Western world at least. Uh, inflations are running wild because the, the fiscal policy that we have been running with the, the world by <laughs> for the last forty years has been on hopes and dreams. And that's probably why Bitcoin and other cryptos are uh, really important. So we want to really go back to the standard where you where the, the means, the monetary or the, the means that you pay with are actually backed by actual assets that has a value. So, yeah, that's, that's the idea. Yeah, I like, I, like the, I like the mechanism of restricting the ho- homeowner to n- not being able to buy back when the housing market drops. When the homeowner sells the property, I assume that's... Well, he, can, he, he, can, he, he can't buy it back, but it will, it will never go lower than right. the price that uh, we originally purchased it for. Right, right. He, the homeowner can't accept a hundred thousand dollars for ten percent of the property and then uh, pay back fifty thousand when the housing market drops. What about the case exactly. when? What do you think about when the homeowner decides to sell? W- would the would Bustad have any voting rights in that decision? And I assume the answer is no. Uh, we yeah, it's, it's, we don't. Yeah, we don't have any voting rights uh, in, in that. That's totally your decision. And you have two choices there. One, you, you can buy back uh, the Busta, uh, the property for Busta or our shares and, and sell 100% of the house. Or you can sell 80% of your house and the next buyer can buy back uh, if he wants that. And, and what happens there? Okay, that basically means that if you live in a 500 $500,000 house and you've tokenized 20%, meaning that your remaining is 400000 you can basically sell a $500,000 uh, house to a person who has 400000 in purchasing power. And what happens then? Well, you have a lot more buyers, right? What happens when you have a lot more buyers? You get a better price. Yeah. Yeah. So why wouldn't you live in a house that's uh, 20% uh, more than what you could afford? Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Uh, all right, let me process this a little bit. So, if you had a, if you have five hundred thousand, it's super interesting. I love this idea, by the way. Um, so, you have a five hundred thousand dollars house. You sell twenty percent of it, so you sell one hundred thousand to Bustad, and that's owned by the community of token holders. Uh, mm-hmm. 
one limitation is you can't sell back for you can't buy back for less than you uh less than hundred thousand. If you were to if you were to sell if you were to sell more of the house, is that the in the example you gave, that's when the homeowner owns one hundred percent. That's assuming there's no mortgage, right? Because that- no, you can have a mortgage as well. That's no no issue, and we 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 allow you to take our part as partial collateral for the mortgage. Okay, so would 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 this make sense realistically? Someone has a five hundred thousand dollar house. They put down a hundred thousand. They have four hundred thousand in mortgage. Would they take the ten percent that they sell it to Bustad? Say say it's at fair market value. It's at the five hundred k. Are they selling? Are they paying the bank back in that example so they get the payment from bustad i'm, I'm trying to identify where the 10 percent comes from does it come generally from the owner's percentage or would it be like the owner can't sell the bank's ownership okay i i think this is this is because it, it's it's different in, in norway and in uh, in the u.s because in in the u.s i think like the mortgage is it's totally attached to the house right as opposed, what's the other option? In in Norway, you 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 can ha- you have the house as collateral, but the debt is attached to you. Oh 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 no no no! It's it, I take it back. It's the same. You would uh, it's it's yeah. the same way. So I would own a hundred percent of the house, but I would have debt, and the house is collateral, right? Mm. Okay, so so let's take this example with five hundred thousand. Then, um, so you have four hundred thousand in uh, in mortgage and. And then um, you tokenize ten um, percent, which is fifty thousand. What we would do then is that we would pay we would pay down on your loan. Actually, we will pay the bank, so you will have fifty thousand uh, less in, uh, in 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 loans. You have three hundred fifty thousand uh, um, left. Then you can either buy it back and sell one hundred percent of your house. Then you're selling a house uh, of for full market value five hundred thousand. Um, but you can also decide to say that, hey, I just want to sell uh, my 90%. I don't want to buy it back uh, before. So that means you, you're actually listing the, the, the house or the living rights to this house for, for 90% of the value, which is 450000 So it basically means that the, the next person uh, who comes to or, or looks at this house, they can decide to buy 90%. Maybe they couldn't have afforded the house if it was uh, 500, but maybe they can pay 470 and and they can buy it back basically so basically you could address more buyers which would then give you probably a better price for your house as well Mm. because you basically can sell you can basically sell a five hundred thousand dollar house for 450 and that will attract more buyers right 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 okay let me ask you this so how do you factor in the value of the uh the rights to live in the house so say say i I, you know traditionally i buy a house i own 100 percent of it i get a mortgage it what about the case where uh i buy a house i own 100 percent of it and i sell 95 percent of the house to oh you can't (laughs) we've limited at 20 percent uh otherwise the the other mechanisms uh for value transfer doesn't work Mm-hmm. So you can own, you can maximum tokenize twenty percent uh, of your house. Is that a po- is that a regulation or is that a boostad policy? That's a boostad policy because we were if we were to let you tokenize ninety five percent of your house and you pay no interest rates, <laughs> that would be a really good deal. Why would you ever move? Yeah. Uh, well, what what why I'm wondering what if there's a boostad number two? What if there's another token out there? Right, it's a free market. There could be. What if someone said, okay, Bustad, I'll sell you 20%, that I'll sell another uh, token, I, token project 20%. Could that, is there, could that happen? Well, I guess technically, right now, right now it's, uh, it's like we, we are looking at the deeds of the house. We know yeah. <laughs> uh, who owns the house. Uh, and uh, so, but, but technically, yeah, th- there could be uh, another booster who came in and had ha- had a looser policy uh, than us. But we spent quite a lot of time to figure out how this policy sh- should work. Because you don't want to create if you, if you if you create something that you could tokenize. Let's say let's say you could tokenize ninety percent of your house. Um, 
no one would ever buy it back. So what would happen to the BUSA token? It would be completely uh, fictional value because you could never redeem the value. So that's why you have to find these um, these sweet spots uh, on on where it's uh, it's um, it's it's still a decision for you if you're going to buy it back or not. And that's another thing also. If you if you decide to sell only let's say eighty percent of your house and not buy back the twenty percent of Busta, then you're also paying a small fee to the Busta token in that transaction. Mm. So that is how also we take part of that so we don't get left out of the transactions forever basically because mm. that could be the norm right that in in 10 years in norway everyone's like oh no we only own 80 percent of our house why would we own more yeah yeah i mean i could see a scenario where say you took a a, a city of a million people and you just said instead of everyone owning 100 percent of their own house uh, and assuming all million people had their own individual home, you said everyone owns one millionth of every house that there is. So you're, <laughs> I mean, I, we would never get to that point, but just food for thought. It's like mm. you, you could, the other thing I'm thinking is if somebody sells the house, say the owner in this case sells the house, the owner is forced to pay uh, back the, the effectively the, the loan, right? I mean, they would be forced to pay from, from the bank. Uh, uh, no, sorry, maybe I, I, I think I misspoke. So, say Bustad owns twenty percent of a home, the owner decides to sell twenty percent of the proceeds from that sale have to go to Bustad. Is that right? No, because uh, you're basically just selling your eighty percent. You're not selling our twenty. Oh, so we will. Yeah, but you will have to pay a fee. Because you're leaving Boostart out of the transaction, so that's also one of the incentives to to say that at some some in some cases it might be beneficial for you to buy it back before if you believe mm. that you have a better understanding of the pricing house pricing. That's interesting. So mm. how do because I generally think of the rise in interest rates. The reason why people invest in real estate is that they understand that there is going to be a high likelihood of a transaction in the future that is higher in value than today. You know, I buy this house for a million, knowing if it's an investment property, knowing that it'll likely get to 1.5 in a couple of years. In the case of Bustad as an investor in the token, that's is that part of the the offer here because i would think okay i invest in this token i buy a piece of you know miami or a piece of you know maybe i buy mm. 10 houses uh, for a thousand each ten thousand now i'm how do i what's my return on that investment i would think of it as through the transactions is where i find return but is there other mechanisms that you built in that um incentivize token investors um Yes, there are like if you look at the Norwegian housing market and the Norwegian economy um, and Norway as a country, it's it's the most stable country in the world. It used to be Finland, but since they share a large border with Russia at the moment, I, I Ooh, think Norway is uh, taking over. Probably number one. <laughs> uh, so uh, you have a, a really like. Of course, we have seen hypes uh, or, or property markets uh, grow. Uh, in the last years also, but if you look at the last 20 years, it's been a very stable growth around 6%. So it's not these huge leaps. And 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 what is also very f- strange about the Norwegian housing market is that 80% of Norwegians, they own their own house. So there's very little speculations. And that's, if you go to Germany, it's like 40% of the population uh, own their own house. So if you have more or less people owning their own own house, that means there's more investors and there's more speculation in the market. And that leads to these higher or, or bigger bubbles, as you might say. But if you look at uh, the Norwegian houses price, pricing uh, during the, the subprime crisis in 2008, for example, y- you did see a small dip, but it was like eight, nine months, and then we were back at it. So if you look, it's it's like the the, the curve of it's it's ridiculously <laughs> uh, stable to, 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 to look at. Mm. Uh, and you also have uh, regulators that go in and, and put in, put in um, uh, regula- uh, uh, regulatory rules for the banks on, on how much they can give out loans. So, so technically in Norway, it's not the bank that's do the credit assessment. To a large degree, it's actually the regulators 
because they have these rules like you can't borrow more than five times your income. Uh, you the bank has to prove that you can survive a five percent rate hike. If you have consumer debt now, you're not allowed to give new loans that's on more than five years. So basically, all the banks are like pushing that to to the max. But that gives a really stable and solid uh, economy. Yeah. Um, so on the I'm I'm totally hearing you on on the point of the incentives for the token investors. Assuming assuming we take this model and a- abstract it away from Norway for a second, just say let's you know take them. The, mm. To me, the model is more interesting than the specific housing market conditions in Norway because I think it, it can work anywhere. Really, it's it's you're effectively offering in my mind you're offering the value proposition to the investor as hey own a piece of a city and a piece of property that you think is a good investment. You know, I can't invest in, you know, I think Miami and Austin and other cities across the world are going to become really exciting hubs. They're going to grow. And I want to place a bet on that in some way, but it's, it's how do you do that, practically speaking? Mm. And I think what you're describing, I mean, this model opens up that opportunity. I think the the pathway for the investor is going to be the rise in property values and the rise in property values, the manifestation of the rise in property values are through transactions. Otherwise, you know, who's to say what a place is work, worth other than mm. when it's actually transacted. So I think mm. my thought is the the mechanism of return on the, the investment for the, t- the token holders are those transactions. And uh, and I was just curious if that makes sense to you, if, you know, cause I'm picturing like, you know, a dashboard of 500 houses in, I keep using Miami, but it could be any city. And you say, these are, these are the offers that are currently up there and you can like, oh, I'm going to own, you know, $500 to this and 5,000 of this house. And you're kind of like, it's a, it's a whole market that you're creating, you know, buy and sell mm-hmm. market. And I, I totally agree uh, with you on on, on that. Uh, like the the reason why we start with Norway is because uh, the the society is so digital. So we can do everything digitally. I don't I don't know how it is in the US. It's pro- you probably have digital deeds, but in, in I don't know if you have to like go to the courthouse and get something rubber stamped or or, or whatnot, and that won't work uh, with the model we're building at the moment. But it, like the other Scandinavian countries, uh, it could probably work very well, and they also are stable economies. So basically, I think there there's two different because you're looking at it from like an investor perspective, where you're saying I want exposure to uh, a, a real estate market that I believe will grow more than 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 what would be like normal i think that this is a really good place to be uh but we're looking at how do you create uh an actual payment token a stable coin which is rock solid uh and has like this slow and steady uh growth that protects you from inflation Uh, basically if you had a portfolio of a hundred million dollars you would probably say okay i'm going to put like 30 million in this one because that's my this is safe right and then i'm going to put 10 million in shit coins and then i'm going to put uh, uh, x millions in these more risky markets or assets right so what we are building here in norway is this base foundation like everyone who owns crypto today if it's if it's bitcoin or ethereum or whatnot an offer for them to okay i think there's going to be more volatile uh, volatility now in the, in the crypto space or in this token i want to move over to this i don't want to go into a stable uh, coin like uh, uh, tethered or usdc there might be several reasons uh, regarding auditability but also especially the that it's basically eating away your money with inflations mm. so this is like a way for you to to put some money somewhere that is um uh, not um um that's that's going to to remain its value basically mm-hmm. and have a slow and steady growth so that's the business case for norway you could take the model and do it uh, uh with another value proposition for example in miami where it would be like, oh, we really think Miami is going to be this metropolitan beacon and owning property there in 20 years is going to be worth a bunch of money. But it would be like a higher risk uh, play, basically. Mm -hmm. And you just have to differentiate with the investments uh, portfolios. That's super interesting. So the the stabilization of the currency, effectively, is the 
Like it's, you're acting, you're, you're using the value of real estate in Norway as like your consumer pricing index, where instead of taking the mm. average price of bread and a car and, you know, all these things together, which is how you can, how you can collectively identify what, uh, where, where the currency is, you know, you can identify inflation by the rise in price of, uh, standard items like bread and things that mm. people have been purchasing for a long, long time. And the housing, and you're effectively allowing that peg to be instead of on CPI, consumer pricing index, it's on the real estate market and said, Hey, we, we don't think yes. this is going to change very much. Um, which makes a lot of sense. I can certainly see that. So people would buy in on the investor side for stability as opposed to gains. And they know that they're not taking a loss on it. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. 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 So you're yeah. basically buying this as a, as a holding option or like your nest egg or, or something like if it, I'm going to be careful with, um, with giving some projections, but like we would estimate it would be like four to 6% a year which is a heck of a lot better than what you're getting at the bank yeah. uh, at the moment. And you can uh, get the exposure like this and you can get out like this. Right. right. And um, sorry to interrupt you, but the, the, the four to 6% per year would come from the token itself, right? It would be the, the like the Oracle would be paying four to 6% per year. And those fees that you're paying to the owners of the token would come from the fees that you took from the, transaction of the house right uh, this is actually really interesting because because in in theory it will just grow the value of the, the 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 price of the token but what we also implement is is what we call a burn protocol that that uh, if the liquidity in in booster becomes too big then booster uh, opens up to buy back token at the, that certain price so we're basically a market maker there saying that this is the price like we are buying back at this price, so because we it, it's it's no use of having uh, a stable coin backed by uh, uh, real estate if fifty percent is in uh, USDC, for mm. example, or something like that. Um, so then this uh, protocol would be open. So, but you as a token holder, you would then have to go there and 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 exchange it for uh, USDC or whatever stable uh, uh, coin uh, that we would offer. Right, right. That makes sense. Man, you guys have given this so much thought. Such an interesting idea. And <laughs> remind me, we're, we're, is this in the prototyping phase at this point where you're effectively architecting and building? Uh, yeah, we're in the building phase. We have architected it. We've built the the blockchain, all the blockchain uh, um, parts of it, uh, running it on the Ethereum uh, chain. Um, so we're opening the first phase, which is minting uh, now probably right before the summer sometime and then we've started building like the the the, the big the big job here is the off-chain part right it's connecting to the public uh, records to to do all the signing and 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 also build the the, the pricing uh, uh, engine but we we, we have 100 percent control over that part so we know what we can build it because this is something this is basically what we've done for the last uh, three years yeah so we I, I have a bet with my chief operating officer that we will tokenize the first home in 2022 oh i like that uh, he say <laughs> <laughs> so i i got skin in the game <laughs> what's your bet what's that what happens if you lose uh, oh it's 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 uh only money it's like uh, what would be like eight hundred dollars Ooh, well, that's a, but it's 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 the glory that's yeah what, uh this yeah. is about <laughs> yeah yeah no i only make bets five dollars or less so <laughs> that's awesome well i hope you succeed genuinely i love the idea i i feel really excited talking about it because it feels like the kind of thing that can unlock a tremendous amount of economic activity and, and potential for people, which is super fucking exciting. So keep, keep leaning in. And, um, are you writing about this? You mentioned you had a thesis out there. Is there anything that you've written publicly or if you were on Twitter or anywhere else? Yeah. Throw it out. But this, this kind of, kind of funny. Cause, uh, like you, you can go to boosta.io and you can sign up and you will get more information, uh, once we're ready, but it's, it's actually been installed this entire time. So you're actually the first person. This is the first time we're speaking public. Nice. Uh, about this. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'll mention that in the intro. So there's a lot of, 
Yeah, so there are some like Norwegian press that knows that we're doing something blockchain thing, but they don't know what it is. Um, so um, yeah, that's cool. And are you uh, active on any social platforms or? Um... Yeah, I'm probably most active on on LinkedIn, but I am on Twitter also. I I've had an account there for ages, and but I never used it, but. Because like all of these, of course, the Elon Musk noise, that's it's like, I, I got to check this out. I got to be more active. Here. So I'm trying to be more active. But <laughs> you work 12, 12 hours a day and I don't have time to to sit around on, on that all day. But uh, yeah, no yeah. sweat. I think it's uh, Alf, ALFG86. I think my Twitter uh, nick is. Cool. Well, congrats again, man. And uh, look forward to having you back on someday. Thank you, man. See ya. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You know, for centuries, the ultra-wealthy have been putting their money where their mouths are by investing in fine wine. And now, with Vint, you can do that too. At Vint, we offer SEC-qualified investment opportunities of fine wine and spirits curated by our experts with portfolio managers. With Vint, you can invest and diversify into the most sought-after assets that have a history of price appreciation. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co.